Anybody out there? Can you hear the sounds? Is there anybody listening? And we're live with the Simber Dialogues. Simber Dialogues, week two of our explorations into this quarantine world. And I'm your host, Akanya. And your other host, Daryl. And welcome to our shit show. Okay. So today's episode is called Doomers and the Such for Humanity. So Daryl, can you explain what the word doomers mean? It depends on the context because doomers, you could have like political doomers. Political doomers in the sense that they're entirely pessimistic. They don't think there's anything you can do to fix any of our problems. And then doomers, like, um, what should I call it? Um, um, religious, religious types, the, the doomsdayers. So I'm just kind of mixing the two. For that so title. the overarching meaning of doomers is someone who is very pessimistic about every idea, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we will explore that theme throughout today's episode. But before we get to that, we uh, started. We're going to start a new segment called "Real or the Onion." Ooh, real and, or the onion. And Miss hmm. Sukanya over here does not know the articles that I whipped up for today's episode, so she is completely in the dark as to what's real and what's fiction. And so I'm supposed to guess if it's real or it's the onion. Yes, based and off the, based what, off based off the headline. And what do I get out of that? Like, do I win a prize? If you get, there's five of them, I think. Okay. There's six. If you get all six, then you get two thumbs up. If you get four out of six, you get one thumbs up. And if you get anything under four, then uh, it's fail. How about we do beer? Like if I get four right, I get two beers. If I get three right, I get one beer. If I get two right, I get half a beer. And if I get one right, I get a sip. Can you even handle two beers? Uh, yeah, that's questionable. I mean, it's up to you. I don't care. Yeah, fine. Two beers. Okay. And what do I get if you don't get it? Uh, you get, get to drink beers. your own beer. You're going to have two Modellos? <laughs> I don't yeah. ha- I'm not drinking Corona. Um, no Corona I don't think me. anyone is drinking Corona for now. I didn't like Corona to begin with, and now I have another reason not to like Corona. All right. Ready for this first, first question, first article? Okay. Drum roll. UK's Johnson, meaning Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. I need to lose weight, but becoming vegan would cheese me off. Is that real or the onion? I think it's the onion. Reuters. <laughs> so London Reuters, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he wants to lose weight in 2020, but will not do it. Do veg, veg or vegan it's like vegan mixed with January. Veganuary. That's a really hard word to say. The popular practice of becoming vegan in January, as it would take too much concentration and mean giving up cheese. I had thought of it, but it requires so much concentration. I do take my hat off to vegans who can handle it, he said during an interview with BBC TV, having confessed he wanted to lose some pounds in the next year. 
You can't cheese if you're vegan. It's just a crime against cheese lovers, he added. All right. So zero, okay. oh for one. Okay. All right, next story. Congress allocates $2 trillion to bail out struggling bailout industry. The onion. Correct. Oh, the key word was bailout industry. Yes. Why would it bail out the bailout industry? So, in order to alleviate the heavy damage the crucial financial sector is facing in the midst of the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, the United States Congress announced Tuesday that they would be allocating $2 trillion in order to bail out the struggling bailout industry. <laughs> and this is a quote. The bailout industry is on the brink of failure, so in order to prevent... A full-on catastrophe. We are setting aside $2 trillion in order to bail it out, said Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, adding that the business of giving massive sums of money to corporations so they can cover their losses is at the very bedrock of the U.S. economic system. And, and without assistance, the entire bailout industry as we know it could collapse. So that's not the whole article. That's close enough. Mm-hmm. So you're one for two. Yay. All right, third article. A Philadelphia hospital remains closed as talks between the owner and the city fall apart. Real? That is real, sadly. Uh, A hospital with room for nearly 500 beds has been closed for months in the center of Philadelphia, a city bracing for the spread of coronavirus and the crush of sick patients. But the facility will remain empty, city officials said, because they cannot accept the owner's offer. Buy the hospital or lease it for almost $1 million a month, including utilities and other costs. And here's a quote from the story. We don't have the need to own it, nor the resources to buy it, so we are done and moving on, the mayor said. Uh, That's criminal. Hmm. Got a fucking hospital. You already beds. have, yeah. You have 500 beds and you're not you're at all functioning. Hold I mean. it hostage. All right, so you're two for three. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Next story. Yamaha warns musicians not to climb in ins- instrument cases after Gosen ex- escape. Gosen's a person. Repeat it one more time. Yamaha warns musicians not to climb into instrument cases after Gosen escape. Onion. That's actually real. Reuters. What? (laughs) What? What the fuck? Here's the story. Yamaha Corporation has warned people not to try and squeeze inside the musical instrument cases after reports former Nissan Motor boss Carlos Gosen fled Japan concealed in one. (laughs) We won't mention the reason, but there have been many tweets about climbing inside large mu- <laughs> musical instrument cases. A warning after any unfortunate incident would be too too late, so we ask everyone not to try it, the Japanese company said in the post on Twitter on January 11th. Wow. Gosen, who's accused of hiding earnings, transferring investment losses to Nissan, and misappropriating company funds, escaped from Japan at the end of December for <laughs> Lebanon. Japanese authorities have vowed to pursue him and issued an international wanted notice for him and his wife, Carol. Fucking Carol. You know Nissan's the car, right? Yeah, the car company. Oh, my God. So he snuck into a instrument case 
flood the country that way. It must have worked. It must have worked. I don't know if they caught him. But you would, aren't you supposed to go through like an x-ray, even if you're like shipping something out or whatever, you're supposed to go through an x-ray and it would clearly show that there is a human inside the box. So this next paragraph kind of explains a little bit of that. The former auto executive and fugitive has declined to reveal how he slipped past Japanese airport security or confirm media reports or accomplices smuggled him through a private jet lounge in Kansai Airport in western Japan hidden in large speaker box that was too large to fit through the facility's x-ray scanner. So that seems to be... Sneaky bastard. The probable, uh, probable cause. Ready for next article? Sure. Trump announces plan to retrain nation's 3 million unemployed Americans as human ventilators. Ding, 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 ding. What gave it away? Yeah? What gave it away? Well, human ventilators. <laughs> Come on. It's like some human centipede shit. So just a quick summary of the article. Taking drastic action to address the country's critical medical shortage supplies, uh, as well as rising jobless claims, President Donald Trump announced a plan... Plan, plan Friday to retrain the nation's 3 million unemployed Americans to work as human ventilators. We're going to put Americans back to work by teaching them to lock lips with infected... <laughs> you can't do it. Infected coronavirus patients and pump air in, into and out of their lungs. So effectively CPR machines. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right, so you're what? Four out of five? Mm, yeah. Basically. Or no. Three out of five. Three, three out of five. six. Three out, you, three out of five because you missed the Yamaha one. So you have to pass this one. You have to get this one right to pass to get, what, a sip of beer? All right. Last article. Eat it. Hanoi chef spreads joy with Corona burger. Say it one more time. Hanoi chef spreads joy with Corona burger. It's real. That is actually real. Good job. You've got to eat it to beat it. That's the philosophy of one Hanoi chef who is attempting to boost morale in the Vietnamese capital by selling green coronavirus-themed burgers. These look hideous. Laughing in the face of global pandemic, chef Hoang Tung and his team now spent their days molding dozens of green tea-stained burger buns complete with little crowns made of dough to resemble the microscopic images of the virus. We have this joke that if you're scared of something, you should eat it, said Tung at the Pizza Home takeaway shop in downtown Hanoi. That's why the virus isn't scary anymore after you eat a burger in the shape of the virus itself. That way of thinking spreading or spreads joys to others during this pandemic, says Tung. There's more, but yeah, that was that was a real that was a real story. So you're four out of six. You I think passed. it's five out of six. You, you missed two. Did I? Which the Yam one? The Yamaha one and one of the earlier ones. Gotcha. Okay, so I am in for one beer. You want a beer? No. Good. Then what did you win? I'll have it some other time.
Careful, if you cough too much, you might have the quarantine police show up. Oh, damn it. Oh, you know what I can have? I can have the quarantini. The quarantini? What's have in the quarantini? Is it green? Uh, no, so quarantini is any, any cocktail that you have during the quarantine time. Hmm. People are actually Just, having it. So th- it's there's not like a trend. special design It is of it? trending. It is trending real hard now on Instagram and Twitter. So you should look it up. Hmm. All right. Well, that concludes the real or the onion articles. On to our next segment. Uh, Why don't you start us off? What are some thoughts that you had from the past week? Uh, So the past week has been very, very weird for all of us, right? I mean, the first week of quarantine was, I mean, uh, social isolation was okay. I guess, you know, it's, it's a new thing. We are all experiencing this new, new work from home situation. And it's like, you feel that you have a lot of time and energy and you're, uh, you know, you're being very productive, uh, first couple of days, really good. And then it suddenly dooms on you that shit, I can't get out. I can't go out and mingle with my friends or go get a meal at a favorite restaurant or, or go grab a drink from my favorite pub. So I guess I have been a Debbie Downer for like at least a week and a half now. Uh, very pessimistic, you know, mood swings and stuff. And it's not the time of the month, guys. It's not the time of the month. <laughs> but it's I'm sure it's not just me, but it's weighing in on a lot of other people as well. How did you feel for the last week? I was doing God's work. <laughs> You're doing God's work? I check uh, camera equipment for a living at the moment, and uh, we're still working. Mm-hmm. And how is it God's work that you're doing? Well, God needs the world photographed. <laughs> and if it wasn't for my lovely company and other companies like it, doing what they do, then people wouldn't have access to their photography equipment. So I am doing God's work. Well, that's that's very, very, very nice of you, DJ, to do it. Yeah. I will add about the whole uh, depression tied to being stuck indoors for long periods of time. I have a feeling psychologists are going to have a field day with this whole phenomenon, they're going to have so many case studies that they can study from. And they're probably going to come up with a new label. I mean, you can quote me on this because they come up with labels for every sort of psychological phenomenon. But how we have like seasonal affective dis- depression, I'm sure there's probably going to be quarantine affective depression or something. Or social isolation. Yeah. Defective. Like at a mass scale, it's not just you in a short ter- period of time and you're looking outdoors and you're seeing people walking on the streets. Like everywhere is fucking empty. And so I think it's also a weird thing, a dichotomy if you think about it is like outside, it's absolutely empty. The streets are empty. Public spaces are empty. But indoors, especially if you have family, you're all cooped up together in a very confined space. So it is weird that there aren't you are socially distant from a lot of people, but also you do not have personal space. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to keep what six feet distance 
or distance from everyone around you at all times and uh not not if you're home not if you're home but even when you're home you're still supposed to be taking special precautions making sure you're not touching your face too much your surfaces are clean and i'm sure most people don't do that i don't do it for sure maybe people are using all those hand sanitizers and just like attaching it or putting it into like a leaf blower and just blowing hand sanitizer all over their house well i for one know that my cats are definitely not appreciating me being home 24 7 they're just looking at me and like seriously woman you need to get out you need to get a life your cat says seriously woman yep wow Mm -hmm. yep if they could talk they would definitely say that bunch of misogynists for cats couldn't imagine Magoo being that hostile towards women. Uh, you know, he, he definitely doesn't speak it out, but it's going on internally in his mind. You know who Magoo would be if he was human? No. He'd be like those lazy Indian dudes that just lay lay around on the street. They got their stomach out. They're just picking their butt, their, their belly button as they beat their wives drunkenly. <laughs> and the wives have to go out and work just to bring home the money. Maku would never do that. He's totally like the nicest, that. nicest cat. The most gentlemanly cat I've ever seen. Yeah. He's also very fucking lazy. Oh. Uh, shit. <laughs> I Does guess nothing. all cats are in some way. Does nothing. Nada. Zilch. And wait till Maku hears this. Good thing he doesn't understand English. I'm sure he does. A little bit. He understands the sound that a Cheetos bag makes when you open it up. Oh, my God. He loves Cheetos. Uh, I have never seen a cat so... Spicy Cheetos. Not even normal cheese Cheetos. Like jalapeno Cheetos or flaming hot Cheetos. He would just hear the bag rip open and he would dash for it. Also, further evidence that he may be Indian. Because he likes the spicy foods. He might might be... He might be... Any person who likes spicy food, Indian. do not generalize, sir. He also has a nice gut. That's like normal in India. As uh, well. Do not generalize, sir. I don't care. Do not generalize, it's sir. Not a, I'm not making a qualitative assessment here. I'm just speaking facts. They got the rice bellies in India. Not all of them. Not everyone eats rice. You have to say the Bengalis eat rice. A lot of home. That's not where I North spent, that's, All right, so not he, Western Indians. So Magoo would be a Bengali. Is that fair? Uh, kind of. He's kind of laid back. He's not violent. He does meow when he wants food. He comes around when he wants food. Yep. He lays on the side a lot with his gut hanging out, <laughs> like someone else I know. Like my dad. <laughs> he literally have his shirt pulled up and it's just like picking his belly button. He never picks his belly button. Like You didn't on. see what I saw. Oh. I would sneak out of the bedroom and he just had his, his mouth kind of drooping. And his hands like kind of approaching his belly button. Well, I don't think Mugu I'm not judging. looks like. <laughs> I don't think Mugu looks like that, but all right. If he was human, he'd look totally like that. No. He has a big gut. Come on, he has like the flabby gut too. Just like the, 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 the fold over, like you'd never, like if he was human, he wouldn't see the, the down areas. Speaking of fat and food. Joe Biden? 
Uh, no. <laughs> Joe Biden is not fat, and no, I don't think... No, but he criticized that one guy. He's like, okay, fat. <laughs> well, speaking of food, tell us what you made for breakfast yesterday. So I found this random pancake recipe on some forum or some blog, and it says the best damn pancake recipe of all time. So I was like, all right, fuck it, I'll try it. The major difference is I noticed it didn't include any vinegar, like with a typical pancake recipe. It didn't include. Actually, that was probably the main one. But the the other thing that it did is it had you separate the egg yolks from the egg whites. And this is something I never did with pancakes. All right, let's give it a try. It's supposed to make it fluffier. What you're supposed to do is put the egg whites in at the very end, right before you cook it, and you fold them in. It's like pretty much like gently adding in the egg whites so it keeps us nice gooey consistency and it fluffs the hell out of it so i make these pancakes right they're looking pretty fluffy i'm i'm excited to try it out i take one bite into this pancake and i think i made a pretzel it tasted like a fucking pretzel i could use that same recipe to make a pretzel it tasted just like auntie Anne's. i don't know what do you think it, it kind of does yeah i mean i accidentally made a good pretzel i could i could totally just Turn that into a nice batter, do the whole pretzel shape thing, and then throw it on a pan, cook it. It rose like a pretzel. Um, I don't know. So yeah, I accidentally made a pretzel pancake. I still have a second one in the fridge waiting for me not to eat it. It was just bizarre. It was weird. It was just bizarre. Syrup, the syrup didn't really do much for me. No. But uh, yeah, anyways... On to our next topic. Uh, what have we watched in the last week? We watched Mean Girls. Uh, actually, it was pretty good. I, don't, I I can't. I had to be I had to be convinced to watch it, but I didn't regret watching it after I watched it. So tell me, uh, what kind of uh, expectations you had going into the movie, and what was your inference? after watching the movie so i i'm not a huge fan of rom-coms or girly films what do you mean by girly films like where it's about how should i how should i characterize like you know you're sounding very sexist right now i don't care (laughs) very very sexist let me me explain before anyone chastise me or throw me on the cross so when i'm saying quote-unquote girly films when films that are catered towards women like say like sex in the city that's a tv show but Things that are geared towards just, it's clearly gendered. Like if you had an over-the-top action film, you'd say that's a dude film. That's fine. Like that's, that's what I mean. But when I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised watching this movie, much like I was with, uh, what was that other one with the three, three characters that had the same name? Heather. Heather. That was another surprise one you'd, you'd watch. You're like, oh, that, that looks like a chick flick or something. And you watch it. It's like, this is surprisingly dark. And I, I think I kind of, I, I wouldn't say Mean Girls was as dark as that movie, because didn't someone die in that? No, almost died. Almost died. It, was, it, it got pretty dark at one point in the movie. Mean Girls never went that far, though they did have the scene. Oh, no, in Heather, they died. All the girls died. Okay, that's what I thought. Heather. That's what I yes. thought. Yeah, that no, was not dark... in mean, mean Girls. It, they didn't yeah, no die. one died, but there were a couple of scenes where... Uh, the one girl got hit by the bus, or she did actually get hit by the bus, and then they showed another scene later on where someone else got hit by a bus, but it didn't happen. 
So they did have some darker moments, but it never went that dark. But I love the balance of the typical chick flicky kind of material with the three girls, but they were the parody of the film. They were the, that was the joke. And you had the outsiders, you had the, the, the big gay dude that didn't completely come out at the school, but everyone kind of knew he was gay. But, and then he had the, the emo, possibly lesbian friends, but she didn't come out initially until, did she, no, she didn't actually, she actually wasn't a lesbian, but she was, people thought she was a lesbian or the one mean girl thought she was a lesbian. But either way, they were the kind of acting like the viewer, like almost like a, like the fourth dimension within this movie. They were the ones kind of parodying or making fun of how stupid a lot of the high school drama and the cliques are. And then you have Lindsay Lohan that's kind of teetering behind between the outside group, the ones that are just like, this is, this is, all of this is stupid, and the clicky. We need to abide by all these special rules to fit in or be popular ones. We wear pink on Wednesdays. All the stupid shit. It's it's it's, it's dumb. But I, I enjoyed it from a social commentary standpoint. It was as clearly as making fun of itself, and I, and I did enjoy it from that end. Like some chick flicks you watch and it's just. Sorry, I burped. <laughs> Too much beer there, DJ. Damn it, Modelo. Um, if you know what movies I'm talking about, where it's just typical format, you have some un, like bullied girl or something, and then they find confidence and they find the man of their dreams or the boy of their dreams, and then they they go off and they have they go to prom together and just like corny shit. They they didn't do that in this movie at all. There was really wasn't any of that. Well, there was. I mean, Lindsay had um, had the crush on that guy. Uh, who was uh, Regina's boyfriend at one point, and they broke up and they got back together. I mean, I think there were elements of uh, the movie being, uh, I guess, uh, chick flicky, but it also had a it wasn't very... wasn't oversaturated with that. Yeah, and it, it also had a very, uh, I guess, strong message as to like this how teenagers go through this sense of belonging and how they really want to belong. But also, they realize that uh, these these really glamorous, glitzy cliques are not essentially inclusive unless you abide by, you know, whatever they do. And also, even if you are a part of the group, you are still dissected and criticized and completely... Uh, by people within your own clique. Exactly. So it, I think it's it's a great commentary on what people go through. Uh, especially when they are desperately trying to belong to something. Yeah. Definitely a good movie for the whole metaphor of a uh, grass is greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. like, everyone's looking at these, the, what do they call them, the plastics? Yep. As being super popular, their lives are perfect, and then when Lindsay Lohan became a part of the plastic, she realized how fucked up all them are and how insecure they are and how mentally and emotionally frustrated they are there, there's so many problems that they have mm -hmm. like the main one her mom's uh, I don't even know what you'd want to call her it's just weird mm -hmm. she's trying to act like she's one of the friends and acting super cool and letting her kids drink and she brought in like fucking martinis to them and um, wasn't really a parent at all it was just just very weird and you see with the other girls they were very insecure and it was a, it was a nice movie I, I enjoyed it mm-hmm I, I can see why it became a cult favorite. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. 
Um, the other show that we are watching currently is Better Call Saul. Yes. And we had we had watched it on and off for quite some time. I think it was like a couple of years ago we were binge watching it and then, you know, life happens and it, you stop watching. And we kind of reconnected with it right now that we are mm-hmm. under quarantine and we've been watching some of the, re-watching some of the episodes. And, uh, From the slow. beginning, really. Yeah. So yeah. one thing that w- that really kind of stood out, I think, and I really didn't, think about it a lot when we were initially watching it a couple years ago but now when you rewatch these episodes you see how beautifully filmed they are uh the camera work is amazing the way the cinematography works is it's, it's just in one word beautiful and the symbology that they include it's not like the scenes are just beautiful in and of themselves which they are but the just uh, just say, for instance, the one scene with Mike, when he was, I think this is in season four, he was in the, the parking booth, and it said cash only mm-hmm. with the window right in front of him. So he saw cash only and he saw Mike. And if anyone's watching the show, you know which Pat, you know what where his career goes from here. So there's a lot of Easter eggs, yeah. uh, you know, in the beginning of, uh, I guess, a lot of the episodes and uh easter eggs and just like small details if you're paying attention it's very it's a very rewarding show for people that like to dissect film and tv Mm -hmm. it's there's so much there it's so rich and even the characters i feel the way they have taken their time to slowly build the characters and you know it's it's almost like an onion right you're just slowly unraveling these characters and sometimes even going back because you you kind of made up your mind about one person being a certain way and then they do something completely different or there's a flashback or you know a scene uh, a flashback scene and then you're like holy shit you know this is why they act this way or maybe they are not like this at all uh i think it's it's a very intelligent show the directors the script writers are very very talented and uh, definitely something i think a lot of people should be watching and learning a lot from yeah. i mean we talked about this before but do you remember why they're so good at continuity between breaking bad and better call saul isn't it there's like someone on the staff that actually goes and re-watches all these episodes and yep. not just better call saul but also uh, breaking bad to find uh, ways to link these episodes yep. together they have to watch every single episode of breaking bad before every season when they're writing the script so they're making sure every single detail is being met if there's some weird odd story that saul mentioned in breaking bad like some off reference for instance uh lalu and nacho not lalu lalo and nacho mm-hmm. that was just an off reference by Saul during, I think, one of his first scenes in Breaking Bad when he got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, shit, this isn't Lalo and Not- or, uh, Nacho had a different name in Breaking Bad, but I think it was a shorter, Nacho is like a nickname form mm-hmm. of the original name. But he had said that when he got kidnapped, thinking it was those two. Mm-hmm. They turned a whole storyline out of that reference. Yeah. That literally, that Lalo was just a guy that he was terrified of Lalo. Mm-hmm. So now that he's a character, he's one of the big baddies, mm-hmm. and better call Saul. It's interesting how that story is going to play out. But that was all spun out of 
Saul just having a random reference to it. I think it ended up being uh, Tuco. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it was Tuco that kidnapped him at that point in Breaking yeah. Bad. Um, just little stuff like that. Random bits. They had a whole episode from a reference he had in Breaking Bad, and he told somebody that he convinced people that he was Kevin Costner. He got a woman to come home with him because yes. she thought he was Kevin Costner. They had a whole fucking episode Breaking, or better call Saul, that was about that bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they... They're doing a wonderful job tying all these story, these little details, turning these little details into full storylines, which is really cool. Um, what's I was reading an article though. There's a there's a little detail that hasn't been explained yet. It doesn't seem to be congruent with Saul Goodman yet. But one of the earlier scenes of Saul during Breaking Bad, uh, when his secretary uh, left the office. He had made some lewd comment to her as she was walking out. And he said something. He's like, ooh, I can't wait for that, that sexy ass or something to come back. Or I can... Something that would just seem very off character for him up mm-hmm. to this point. Mm-hmm. And better call Saul. So people are wondering how are they going to tie that into the show as well. Like, does he go full scum mode by the end of season six? Which I think that's the last season. Mm-hmm. Is he going to start being more promiscuous with the secretaries and just kind of being shitty? It's like up to this point, it's just been him and Kim. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't shown any interest with any anyone else, yeah. other than his scams. He loves his scams probably more than he loves anything else. But as far as uh, other women, it's not scams; it's schemes. Schemes, schemes, scams, flim flam. Uh, but yeah, that seems to be the only loose string so far. And if that's if that's all they can't answer for, I think people will forgive them. Most yeah. shows don't go this far to make sure that there aren't plot holes and. Uh, character uh incongruencies or all that like game of thrones Ugh. let's not talk about game of thrones <laughs> uh, at least the coronavirus kind of made everyone forget about how bad game of thrones ending was that was <sighs> painful it was sad it's like what you can do now with better call Saul and even breaking bad because they're so good with their writing you can still go back and it feels like it's not a waste of time mm-hmm Game of Thrones with how they ended it. It's like, what's the point? I mean, you can go back and be like, oh, what could have been if they continued with this level of quality? I, I just, just felt the show was very intelligent in the beginning. And as it progressed, it got dumber and dumber and dumber. And then it just fell into the whole Hollywood formula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just regurgitated a, a complete crap of a show. You know, an an ending, I would say, right? Like it's Last it's a very two to three seasons were rough. It was very predictable, very like how you would expect a show to end. But even if it was predictable, I don't even think people were that upset about it being predictable because you can like if a story is well written enough, it should be fairly predictable. It doesn't always have to be twisting. If people are paying attention, these they should leave enough details there that you should know how a character will act in different situations. But the problem with the show, it became predictable according to Hollywood, not according to its characters. And the characters weren't even consistent with their own previous behaviors. Mm-hmm. Like Tyrion became a babbling idiot after like season six. Like, what was his point? What did he do? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't Cersei fucking kill Tyrion when she he was standing at the gate? Could just killed him. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daenerys' army was 
pathetic right there. She could she could just ended all of that. And even the transition of uh, Daenerys's character, like from, you know, being this benevolent, uh, yet strict ruler to someone who became completely ruthless. I I mean I get I get how one can do it. Well, I know how they can get there, but the transition was so freaking ab- abrupt right. and it, yeah. it, it didn't make sense. Like, you know, how a character would just flip like that. Yeah. It's like they had to, the problem, like before Game of Thrones is a character driven show, mm-hmm. the characters, behaviors and personalities kind of drove the story, but eventually it became a plot driven show and they didn't know how to fit the characters within that plot. They, they got confused. Um, and I mean, there's just countless examples within the last two two seasons of that. Uh, like Daenerys just making really stupid moves with their dragons. Uh, one dragon getting shot down. Like she's been flying these fuckers for how long? She doesn't know how to look toward left to see if there's a fleet of ships mm-hmm. sitting there. I, I mean, between that and just the each universe has its own set of rules. And you coming from the Harry Potter world. That show had that story has its own set of rules, and if a character or something happens within it that's just completely out of, out in the blue, it just kind of takes you out of that um, immersion. Mm-hmm. Like you're not in that world anymore. It's like okay, that's just ridiculous. Like with the the fucking arrows or those giant bolts hitting the dragons. First one they launch hits the dragon. Second one hits the dragon. All right, next day she only has one dragon, and she has like dozens of these ballistas shooting at them. Mm-hmm. They all miss. Figure that one out. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Just there's so many little details like that. Or when they were uh, beyond the beyond the wall, and you had that uh, Baratheon kid being sent back to run all the way down to Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. I think it's Dragonstone, right? Yep. Been a while. Run all the way down there, and that'd be like comparable to say, I'm gonna have you run from UK to all the way down to like the southern tip of Italy. And then you're going to have to fly back up, probably farther than that, within, what would I, like a four-hour time span? Is that fair? Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, it should have taken him weeks to get down there, and he just magically appears, and then she's... I can believe that the dragon could get up there in a quick time, but just the fact that he was able to get down there so fast... um, Yeah, I I don't know. It just... Yeah, it just didn't make... It doesn't make sense. In short, in short, for anyone that's thinking about getting into Game of Thrones and wondering what the fuck happened, the the showrunners D and D, Dave and uh, David or David, David Benioff and DB Weiss, they are brilliant at adapting. If they have pre-existing material, they're perfect. They 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 can do it to a T, but they're awful at writing and awful at creating something of their own original. They can't do it. They prove that they can't do it. Um, so, yeah, that's probably enough on, on Game of Thrones. That could be its own episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of Game of Thrones, our current, our current person on the U.S. throne is... Drumroll, please. Donald Day Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so we Get were... some America. <laughs> Fucking shit. Donald Trump knows all everything. He's smart. He's a smart man. He's a smart man. Brilliant. 
He's a brilliant. The doctors are impressed how brilliant he is. Brilliant! So we were... <laughs> we were wanting to have a good laugh because we were very, uh, I guess, depressed last week with the whole coronavirus situation. So we were looking to get some comic relief and we bumped into the 2011 roast of Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And sadly, Donald Trump wasn't the most memorable bit from uh, that, that roast. Who was, uh, who was the guy that completely flopped comedy-wise? Situation? Situation. Back when Jersey Shore was popular. Now he looks like a grandpa. Oh, my God. It was... All that spray tanning and Yeah, I don't even know like why shit. was he a part of the whole panel because he definitely didn't fit in there at all. Like Everyone was funny apart from him. I think even Donald Trump was having a good laugh at times, but uh, yeah, the situation was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, given the context of 2011, that show was fucking huge, unfortunately. It was huge. It was everywhere. There's posters. There was people. Everyone was watching it. I wasn't watching it, but it, it, there were so many cultural references. It was just the thing back, then, back in 2011. And that show actually shaped the future of the U.S., because there were so many references made to Donald Trump running for uh, the office of the president. Not references, jokes. They were joking in his face about running for president. Right, right. Like, you know, saying that, oh, my God, how can you even think of this? You know, this is ridiculous. This is... Telling him he'll never be president. And, uh... and here we are now. Now, you do know the comedic reference that people have blamed for him ultimately running for office in 2016, right? Probably. Do you know what it is? Uh, Barack Obama roasting him for the White House dinner. Yeah, that was the White House press conference or press. I'm forgetting the word or the name of it. We haven't had one in the last year or two with the president actually there. But yeah, Donald Trump was in the audience and Obama was having a blast roasting him. And you could just see the look of scorn just overtaking Trump's face. And I think Obama had a, a line promising him that he would never be president. And Trump probably just went and like something clicked in his mind. He's like, all right, bitch, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> it was almost like a dare. It's a dare. It's like, hey, someone's going to tell me I can't do something. I'm going to go do it then. And here we are approaching his uh, reelection. <laughs> yeah. Potential second term. Oh, my God. Just Not, wild. Well, I mean, I personally am not a huge fan of Donald Trump. You know, I think he is... He's a great man of all time. <laughs> he's great. People love him. I just think he's very pompous and very arrogant and really not suited for politics at all. Uh, but just you gotta, you gotta like, you know, at least recognize his courage and strength to run because, you know, knowing that he had no clue about the U.S. Pol politics, and he ran, and he actually ran with it and had a huge following is kind of insane, the, like what he did. The ballsiest move is the fact that he stole Bill Clinton's line from 92. True. Make America great again. Fun fact. That was not an original but, but statement. I think it was make America great. That was the thing for Bill. And then he just put the word again. Again. So... <laughs> Effectively, he would be Bill's third term. 
going off that slogan. It's actually really crazy, just for anyone listening. Is there anybody out there? For anyone listening, if you look up a lot of the policy positions of Trump and a lot of his famous lines, unfortunately, a lot of politicians, especially on the left, have uttered those same lines about building walls and possibly cutting security or social security or uh, lines that we find abhorrent now. Illegal aliens is a huge one that Democrats used to spew off quite a bit in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and even through the 90s. Um, talking about Mexicans as being criminals and rapists and drug dealers. and That was, that was common talk back in the 90s. Cross-party lines. That wasn't just a Republican thing. It is just interesting seeing how politics evolve and uh, positions change over time. And I don't know. What was your favorite bit though about the roast? Um, I think I really liked. What was that young guy? Very young guy. Oh, uh, Anthony Jeselnik. I think so. Yeah, he, he was, was pretty he, new at the time. He was very funny. He was very, I guess, um, crisp. His jokes were very hard hitting, and it was short and sweet. He knew how to mind his time. Yeah, he'd say a joke, he'd play it up, and then he let the laughter kind of take over, and then he knew when to jump in again. That's correct. Uh, what was your favorite part? All right. It's Gilbert Godfrey time. <laughs> I can't do his voice. He was, uh, what, the stand-in for the, the deaf lady? Yes. I'm forgetting her name, but she was like at the first deaf Academy Oscar, Oscar yeah. winner. Yeah. She was a good sport. She initially had one translator there talking for her, yeah, talking on her behalf. Um, and then he pardoned, stepped aside, and then all of a sudden Gilbert Godfrey comes out. <laughs> And she's over here trying to tell him what to say, and he's just going on his own fucking tangent. And... <laughs> Was that it? It's kind of that. It's typical Gilbert talking. I don't. I don't know. Imagine if he talked like that in his normal voice, just out. Honey, can I get some eggs? <laughs> I need some toast. I can't do the voice. Can you do the voice? I can't do the voice. Try no. it. Just try it. You got it. You just got. Donald J. Trump is so much of a moron. You know what that sounded like? What? My gram. Uh, well, I <laughs> know. Like her, I, no. It sounded like her when she was yelling at me as a kid. Oh, I think Graham's very sweet. Graham's like, oh, it's a crazy, crazy world. All right, say that, but with the previous voice. It's a crazy, crazy world. All right. Hey, Graham, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> This is, this is all good spirit. Parodies, parody means it's the uh, best form of flattery. Correct. Crazy. Correct. Cra- that is actually a perfect phrase for this moment in time. It is. The pandemic, everything's fucking closed. Uh, all of that. So, anyways, just to kind of close, I shouldn't say close, but uh, I just want to go on a brief rant okay. at the moment. Okay. Um, this, this whole show is called Doomers, and... I've been pretty pissed off lately. So I, I'm getting really fed up seeing all these fucking doomsday people sharing these Christian apocalyptic articles online, 
talking about how the coronavirus is a sign of the end of days and we need to pray to Jesus. We need to pray to Jesus because it's the end times. We need to congregate in church. We need to pray. We need to tithe. If you don't know what tithe is, that's giving money to your church even when you don't have a fucking job. You need to pray. Pray pray the corona away. And what I've it's not even so much a religious stuff. I'm an atheist. That's that's pretty well known amongst my circles. But it's not even so much a religious stuff that frustrates me. But it's the pe- the underlying pessimism that isn't just exclusively a religious thing. I see it with people that are a-religious, but still politically uh, look at everything with uh, doomy eyes. But it's just this weird pessimism where, yes. They're, they're almost gleeful for the end time, so then their suffering can end. And there's no effort on their behalf to actually try to prevent all of these bad things from happening. It's like they just rejoice in it. They're happy about the fact that the world's on fire from climate change, or maybe we're on the brink of nuclear disaster, or now we're in a global pandemic. So, oh God, Jesus is finally going to come. He's going to come all over us, and I'm happy for it. Jesus is here. It's like, how how can you have people, like I'm sure everyone, anyone's listening here, someone knows, everyone knows somebody that thinks this way. I, at least, I would think. It's like hard to have a relationship with that person when their whole worldview is based in such a, such a manner it's like they they don't have any hope for the future they don't have any will to do anything to help the future they're just waiting for the world to end and it's like fuck everyone else they don't care i, I mean am i wrong i'm well you know what my theory is for the whole uh i guess this this way of thinking is most of these people who are doomsayers and i i might be wrong but i feel a lot of them are very hopeless in their real life, right? Mm-hmm. Either they have not found fulfillment through their jobs or through their personal life or, you know, they, they do not have that purpose uh, in their lives. So their sole purpose kind of revolves around the fact that they were right by praying to the right God and everyone else was wrong. So judgment day or the doomsday is the, one, is the, the day which proves them to be right. And if that is the one that is happening right now, then they're the ones grinning and the rest of them are going to rot in hell. So that's their justification. Sad. Or my most Trumpy voice. Sad. Sad. That's sad. Sad. I I, I think you're definitely right. There's a a heavy psychological component to all of this. And it's, this is their search for meaning. This is what gives them meaning. And if they don't have this, then they have a reckoning to face of a whole life of decisions, probably, that got them to where they are now. And a lot of guilt and regrets that they'll have to face. So it's easier just to burn it all down, say, fuck it, hope that the world ends, and I don't have to take any responsibility for anything anymore. And Yeah, I don't know. From a religious standpoint and a political one, I don't respect I don't have much respect for people that just throw in the towel so fucking easily. It's like we've humans have gotten through so much throughout its own history as a species. 
for people to just continually just throw in the towel like, oh, there's another sign of the end times. It's like, motherfucker, what about the Dark Ages? What about the Black Plague? So, you know, as, as humans, we like to think that we are very important and what we are going through our sufferings or uh, the sufferings of the times is the most important one. So they never weigh in what generations before them have faced or the generations after them are going to face. So for them, this is, this is the worst possible case. This is the worst thing that can ever happen to humanity and that's why they are so pessimistic. Now, can we can we just kind of characterize the situation that we're in right now anyways for the pandemic? I, I saw this brilliant meme. Like, World War II, World War One, World War II. How did you contribute to save the world? You had to sign up for the military. You had to go join a factory to help per, produce goods, to help the society survive, to help us win the war. It was a lot of active work. Active is the key word here. Not saying that there aren't very active people, our doctors, our nurses, grocery store workers, anyone that still has to work through this catastrophe, myself included. I'm not a hero. I wouldn't call myself one. But the people actually doing the good work of trying to help people live um, through this crisis and survive as best as possible. Uh, outside of them, what, do, what are the rest of us being asked to do? Sit on our ass and Netflix. Yeah. You're, we're being asked to Netflix and chill. That's it. That's our that's our fucking duty right now. If you do that, we will survive. Man, this is some this is some doomsday crisis. Man, God really did a good one, writing this whole catastrophe up. If if I was expecting the world to end, I'm expecting meteors to rain hell yeah. down on Earth, blow it up, whatnot, etc. etc. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my rant on doomers. Don't be like, in short, I'll just say this. I'll just say this. It's one more thing. One percent. I'll just say this. To live, to be alive is already a privilege. To be alive, and especially in this time in history, is a privilege. To even exist is a privilege. And the only thing that we are guaranteed of is this experience that we have right now. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, put aside people that are going through immense suffering immense pain that maybe want to end it all. I'm not trying to put that aside, but even if things are tough, things can always get better. And that might be a cheesy cliche, but we can make our situation better. We can make our perceptions of suffering better. We don't have to feel like we're suffering as much. I mean, one thing that really blew my mind, like when I was walking around in India, you see people so poor, so destitute, barely a nickel to their name or a rupee to their name, uh, clothes on their back or haggard and ripped apart, and yet they could still have a smile on their face and still find a way to get through day to day. Um, so perspective is key. Try not to get overwhelmed in the day to day. Drama is key. Uh, and just trying to be find things to be grateful for. Those are some very deep words, TJ. Deep. All right, well, anything else you'd want to mention or talk about real quick before we sign off? You know, also, like, just the, the, the whole fact of suffering, you know, I think we are very fortunate here in the U.S. that we have, uh, we have places to be safe and healthy at. We have access to food. 
the government is trying to send stimulus packages um, to everyone, though I'm not uh, completely in agreement with all the clauses of the stimulus bill, but uh, it's something. still something. But uh, the other day I was seeing a video of people in India. You know, in India we we are right now under a lockdown, so Comparable there's no. to what we see here, where people can't work. Right. It's not just can work; it's also there's no public transportation yep. Yep. at all. Like very, very few, and there's like police on the streets, literally harassing you for even being out, even if you have a legitimate cause. So it's a very, very strict situation there, and we are, they don't even have as many uh, positive cases of coronavirus yet, and they're desperately trying to prevent it. So I get it, but also what this has caused is there's a lot of daily wagers who daily laborers who work in these cities and they're being forced they're they just being, get paid for that day so. yeah so yeah they make daily wages and they're being forced to move out of the city and go back to their uh you know original homes because they either can't afford rent they cannot afford food um so these people say they're walking to get back to their villages and stuff, and they have to walk at least, like, uh, the one person was had to walk 800 kil- kilometers. And I don't know what kilometers is in miles, but... About 2.2 kilometers is one mile, so it's about 350, 360 miles. That's like from here to Jamestown, from New York City to Jamestown. It's, it's 300 about, miles. Yeah. And it takes, just, just if you have a, an idea, like from New York City... To go to Jamestown, New York, which is western New York, it takes six and a half hours driving. On a good day. On a good day. So if you actually walk, it's going to take you uh, at least, I don't know, let's let's check it. Let's check how long it's going to take. I'll, I mean, probably were, like the, a the week. Ones, the ones walking the 100 kilometers, they said it was going to take what, 10, 10, to days. Fi- 10 to 15 days. Yeah. And that's without food and water. They don't have anything. They don't, they're going back because they can't afford the, the cost of living in the city. They don't have enough money to pay for food there, so they're going back to their uh, family villages where a lot of their relatives are located at. That's really their only hope. There were a number... I did see a number of, like, uh, uh, I guess humanitarians that were parked alongside of the highway when you had a lot of these vagrants migrating from the city to the village, and they were stocked with food, and they were giving food and snacks and water to these passing migrants, but... Most of, there, there are just too many of them. There's thousands, if not more. Absolutely, and, like, and it was it's and it's not just the adults who are walking back. It's also they're walking back with their family, so they have young children mm-hmm. with them. So I I I just feel that sometimes we have to really consider our privilege, and again, perception, right? Perception of suffering. You can either. Uh, push through it and you know make some i guess uh make the most out of this yeah life. just just to just to feel a little bit more yeah. positivity in your life or you can just drown in the suffering and mm-hmm. be like the doomsday uh, doomsdayer doomers doomers i keep getting called a doomer at work and i try to remind them that it's not that i'm a doomer i just want to make people's lives a little better in whatever way i can and the only way you can Fix a problem is acknowledging that there is one. 
Agreed. But I, I always approach that with an optimistic view that it can be changed because otherwise, why the fuck am I doing all of this? Mm, agreed. So, all right. Anything else? I think that's about it for today. Jesus Christ, we did an hour. Oh, boy. Did a fucking hour. So, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps it up for today. And so uh, we can sign off. This is Daryl. And this is Akanya. Thank you for tuning in to our second 002 episode of the Simber Dialogues. Simber Dialogues. The Simber. We do dialogues. Simber, you're done. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. I'm cashing out. 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 I'm c